1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast today. I'm excited to welcome Kevin Pendergrass and Dr. Lee Grant. They're some of the new friends I've made on my journey, and they have a really interesting podcast called Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. And I'm proud to say that I got to be interviewed on their podcast. So Kevin and Lee, welcome to the Grace Saves All podcast.
2: Thank you, brother David. Yeah. We are happy to be here. Um, we appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much, man. We're we're excited to be here, and I, well, at least I'm not going to speak for Kevin. I'm excited to be here. I'll let <laughs> Kevin speak for himself.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm okay. kind of neutral about it, but yeah, it's it like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to be on on your podcast. Thank you so much for inviting us. You really have uh, ha- have really reach to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I was listening to some of your podcasts when you had William, uh, William Paul Young on, and now you're interviewing us. And so you've, you must've ran out of people to talk to.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, what, what's, what's, uh, what's just kind of interesting about this is, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get into podcasting was just to, just to get a chance to talk to different, different, interesting, just to have interesting conversations, um, with people. And man, The conversation that I had with you guys was one of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. Just the way uh, the interview uh, that you guys did with me, it was just such a wonderful experience because, you know, I didn't feel like you guys were attacking me or, you know, you guys were like, you know, we're just we're we're interested in in people and the journey that they're on and trying to understand what they're thinking and feeling. And, you know, we're, we we want to understand you. We're going to ask some hard questions because we want to, you know, we want to, we really want to see what what you're thinking, but the whole experience was just awesome. It was so great. I'm going to, uh, uh, you guys have given me the, um, uh, the audio files and I'm going to, I'm going to post those on my own podcast because I want, I want my audience to to hear it. But, What makes you guys so, I don't know, just so awesome and able to reach out and talk to so many different kinds of people that you're doing on your podcast? How did that happen?
2: Well, I know what really kicked it off is I had started a podcast some years ago. I say some years ago, it was like maybe two years ago. I think I started it in Mm -hmm. 20. Yeah, it was 2019. So it was two years ago because I had always had the idea that a podcast that kind of followed the format of some of those conversations you have on the back pew with someone after church would be something that'd be, be an interesting endeavor to undertake. And at that time, I was going through. And we may get into this further along in the conversation, but at that time, I was going through some some pretty heavy thinking and some pretty heavy. Um, I don't want to say deconstruction, but I was definitely being reoriented towards a better understanding and a better perspective on the scriptures and what their purpose was. And that process was scaring me. So. That podcast, I thought, would give me an opportunity to kind of explore some of those nooks and crannies in a safe way with some people. But also, it was kind of an exercise for me to retreat back into that previous mindset and kind of double down and investigate those tropes and the status quo that I had held on to for so long. And in that process, I'd invited Kevin to come on my podcast and talk about his book okay. that he had, he had written at that point. And so he came on, we discussed it. I had a few other things. And just as I continued on my journey of faith, it I noticed things were changing. I was coming to the scriptures with a different perspective, a more nuanced perspective. I was beginning to let go of a lot of that black and white thinking. And so that podcast died it just it wasn't something that i felt right in continuing or perpetuating so i let the sun set on that and some time went right. by and kevin and i continued to visit and talk and he reached out to me about starting a new podcast and that's when we brainstormed and started exploring faith pursuing grace because kevin had been yeah, on Yeah i love a,
1: the you know i love the title i love the title of your of your podcast how did that title come come along
2: well um <laughs> Kevin and I were kind of knocking some th- ideas around back and forth, and we were kind of spitballing. And I shot that one over to him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I like that." And I said, "Well, okay, then that's what we'll call it." So it was. I wish I had a
1: cooler story, but that was pretty much it. <laughs> well, Kevin, um, yeah, that is—you know—that is, you know, is kind of your story. I mean, you—you you really are per- pursuing more grace. That really seems to fit your journey.
3: Yeah. Well, Lee and I, when we were talking about it, I just said, "I said, what would be?" a good description for what we're trying to accomplish, because there's a lot of podcasts out there. And usually people will listen, especially when you're first getting started, they'll only listen solely by what the podcast name actually is. And so what were we trying to really get across to people? And that is we're really wanting to just explore our faith and pursue grace. And that's something that Lee and I both have been doing. And we have taken different journeys and really landed up in the same Same location, same place in a lot of different ways. And I have just realized that the more I talk to people, the more I have a love and appreciation for everybody's own unique journey. Because everybody's different, but everybody's the same in a lot of different ways. And the more that we can talk about different issues, even things that we might disagree on, We're still able to have a respectful conversation. I mean, you know, we had you on our program, not because we were Christian universalists, but because we wanted to have someone who knew that view very well and who actually believed that view to come on and explain uh, why they believed what they believed. And a mutual friend is the one who... uh, they, they they encouraged us to reach out to you, and so we did. And we appreciate you coming on our our show. And we try to do that with so many different views. We do that with eschatology. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to do that with a whole lot more views, just to have different people on and say, hey, tell us why you believe what you believe. And it's so easy to misrepresent a view. So if I, you know, me, if I'm not a Christian universalist, how well do you think I'm going to do explaining Christian universalism? Well, I may do an okay job at giving some facts, but as far as actually having a convictional truth, I'm not going to have the same perspective that you have. And so I think that that's vital, not just on Christian universalism, but any issue and any topic to have people come on to be able to give their arguments, their reasons why they believe what they believe and instead of seeing each other as enemies, instead of seeing each other as uh, people who are trying to go separate ways, I, I see people who I disagree with, people on the same team. They may be sitting further down on the bench, but we're on the same team. And so we need to be willing to to talk about these things together. Well, and, you know, to, one of
1: the things that I appreciated about you guys and one of the things that kind of happened to me in my journey was once I, I was, you know, pursuing this grace and the more I pursued it, it just kind of enveloped everything. And I started, uh, I really started feeling that that I believe that, that the ultimate destiny of all of God's children is that finally God would be all in all, and that that was where we would end up. But I knew that once I went public with that, that there would be some people that would not see me as a Christian brother anymore, uh, basically. And so it really meant a lot to me uh, for you guys to call me brother, you even call me say, well, brother, David, you know, and and I did. <laughs> I felt like we were on the same team. It wasn't about whether we were, you know, actually whether you were just going to, you know, jump on board with everything I was saying, but you were really um, listening and, uh, and interested. Let me, you know, let me just ask you, uh, what was it that. I guess that surprised you, or was there anything that was surprising about hearing about Christian universalism from a Christian universalist?
2: Well, I know speaking for myself, one of the things that surprised me was how much of a scriptural backing that you have for that position, And, you know, it's funny because whenever you hear a viewpoint or a perspective that tends to rub against the grain of what you have grown up with, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to undo so much of that subconscious programming and those inherited beliefs that just get drilled into your psyche and ingrained into your subconscious. It's easy to look at other things and other positions and dismiss those positions just out of hand, yeah. or whenever someone presents even a biblical case for whatever position it is that they're that they're presenting it's easy to go into that mode of thinking in your own mind well that passage really means this and oh you're misunderstanding that and oh you just really don't know what the bible says and blah 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 on and on it goes i, I think that's that's a posture that i used to have And it's slowly, by the grace of God, it has eroded and it's becoming far softer. My heart is far softer and my mind is more open and willing to consider other perspectives. And there are some perspectives that you hear about, Christian universalism being one of those things. And you think this is just pie in the sky theology. This is just wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the emphasis is on hopeful universalists rather than, you know, the universal idea of grace being extended ultimately to everyone in the end. And just the amount, just the scriptural basis that you had, that was honestly the biggest surprise for me because so much of what you presented whenever you are on our podcast were things that I hadn't considered and it was a way that I hadn't looked at it before and it made sense. Now, there are still some things that I'm on the fence about myself, but I can appreciate the perspective far more than I did before. Yeah, Here's the thing someone I like- it that actually knows it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, the thing I liked about it was I I kind of felt like you guys were saying, "Well, you know, that's interesting," and uh, you know, uh, thanks for sharing that. And it was I almost felt like, you know, yeah, you guys were saying, like, go on, make your scriptural argument. We're interested to hear what you, you know, what you got to say. We want to ask our questions too, but it's just interesting to hear somebody, you know, it's interesting when you you can think that you're, you know, looking at the Bible but then all of a sudden you change your point of view a little bit. And all of a sudden you find some new verses you hadn't found before. You found, <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. One, you one know, of my, uh, one of my phrases that I use all the time now that I see, I, I find myself saying is, huh, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> and I say that over <laughs> and over. And one, yeah. one of the strongest arguments that I thought that you laid forth in the podcast is the idea of paralleling Adam with Jesus and, course, you didn't do that. Paul did that, but you referenced that in Romans. And the idea that just as sin is something that we all have to deal with and that it's, it's, you know, there's no human aside from Jesus Christ. And of course he was still divine, but there is no human who has ever been sinless because of Adam and the sin that, that came into the world. And because of that, in the same way, you know, I loved how you said that, uh, I think you Phrased it or word it something like the you know, you didn't ask uh, Adam into your heart as your personal sinner. And, right. I really, I, 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 yeah. you know, not, not only is that funny, but I think it makes a good point because the idea is we didn't ask for that. And that's one of the arguments that a lot of skeptics and atheists will say is, look, I didn't ask to be a sinner. I didn't ask for God to create me. I didn't ask for God to, to make me this way. And so, why should I be accountable for this? And uh, in the same way, the idea of grace extending to everybody extending to all and i really thought that was a good argument i also like the idea of just putting some of the more philosophical arguments together of looking at the nature of god if god's all powerful if god's all knowing and if god's all loving then why in the world would he not save everyone and that in and of itself it may be a little more simplistic or at least you, I, know, I you know you know at least argument.
1: if every if everyone is not saved it's not like god is going to be surprised about it
3: yeah yeah and and why um you know, why would he not if he has the power to? I mean, if you ask any father or friend, if you have the ability to save your child or to save a loved one, would you do it if you had the power to do so? I don't know of anyone who would say no. So I think those arguments, those are, those are really strong. Those are really strong. And it was funny because I had someone reach out to me personally and they just couldn't believe we would have a Christian universalist on our, our uh, podcast. And I jokingly said to him, I said, well, do you want to come on and talk too? Because we're willing to have anybody on (laughs) to discuss why they believe what they believe. But you know, the whole idea behind this is people are so afraid to question what they believe because they've been taught that if they question their beliefs about God, then they're actually questioning God. And in the legalistic environment that I grew up in and I know Lee grew up in, there's this fear that... If we we can't question because if we question, this is almost a disrespect to God Himself. And what I have come to realize is that God wants us to question. Uh, we need to be questioning. The more that we question, the the better, because we're able to be more open and honest and vulnerable. Because let's be honest, most people are having all these different questions anyway. They may not be vocalizing yeah. them, but they're they're having yeah. them in their heart. And so that's why, you know, we really want a place where. Even Christian universalists are welcome to come and and talk about their views in an open and honest way where they're not just going to be slammed or condemned.
1: Well, what is what is, uh, you know, you asked me the question, what is Christian universalism? Well, let me ask you the question, what is legalism? Hmm. Oh boy, the legalism. Did you have
3: four hours? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I don't want a four hour answer. But just kind of, you know, what is legalism? I mean, you guys have experienced it from your well, experience of it. What is it?
3: So, so I've written a book about my whole experience called A uh, Different Kind of Poison How Legalism Destroys Grace. And, you know, there's really not necessarily a textbook definition of legalism. You're going to hear people describe it in different ways. But the way that I really describe it in my book and just a very simple, stripped down idea, and that is trying to earn salvation. It's a matter of approaching God through a law system and that whole idea of a legality instead of a relationship with God. And for years, that's how I tried to live my Christian life, is through a legality, is I have to do enough in order to go to heaven, or I have to make sure that I'm getting enough points, for lack of better words. And I would have never read it that way. I read
1: read your, no reading your book, you weren't, you weren't just the legalist. You were the legalist of legalists.
3: <laughs> I never killed anybody. So that, that's, that's good. You know, Paul has me on that. But yeah, I, I really, you know, we would go into different denominational churches. And when I say we, usually me and not Lee and I, because at that point in time, Lee, Lee and I, um, we were friends, but we hung out more through well, he he usually I would go see him to get an adjustment because he's a chiropractor. And so we would yeah. have conversations at that point. But, yeah, a couple of other friends of mine, we would go out to different denominational churches and just go in and literally interrupt the service, challenge him to a debate on the spot, try to question what they were saying. And, uh, you know, I went into a miracle service one time that a Pentecostal church was having. And they said, "Come expecting a miracle." And so we took a video camera in there and uh, it's, it was kind of like a G rated or PG rated version of Borat or something, but yeah, we, uh, we went in there and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, told him, you know, okay, show us a miracle. And so one of my friends, Brandon Johnson, he actually went down forward and. And said that he wanted to be healed, and he wanted to be able to see without his glasses. And so he took his glasses off, and they surrounded him and prayed for him, and uh, they were laying hands on him, and it was horrible. Because I was back there just laughing. I mean, we're w- looking back. I mean, it's it's a wonder I wasn't struck dead on the spot. But we were just uh, really kind of making a mockery of the whole thing, and we were doing so thinking that that was our way of exposing error. And mm-hmm. we actually had the we had the cops caught on us several times in different churches. In fact, one friend that I used to go into these different denominational churches with, um, he, uh, he ended up getting arrested one time and then that way we would be able to kind of act like we're, we're the Christians in the first century. We're getting persecuted for teaching the truth. And so it fed into almost a, a martyr complex as well. But yeah, I really was, you know, I tell people that I, I honestly know few people who were as legalistic as I was in the sense of just really, uh, not just trying to be saved through a law system, but, was willing to uh, just be a complete jerk, man. And I I regret it so much because most people who are caught up in legalism are not like I was. I mean, there are some out there, but I tell people openly and honestly, hey – when you read my book, I'm the exception. Don't think everybody stuck in legalism is a big jerk like me because um, you know they aren't. But I really thought that I was supposed to be a jerk for Jesus. I really thought that was my calling. And it's weird to explain this because it's hard to explain what I just said, but then tell you I was very sincere. And I thought yeah. I was doing the right thing because I was. I, I, I can look back and see that my heart was pure I really thought that's what I was supposed to be doing, which is why legalism is why I call it a different kind of poison, because it can take someone who is sincere and dedicated to try to following God and turn them into an absolute uh, a monster for Christianity, really.
1: Uh-huh. Well, what was your experience, Lee? How, how, what was your I think uh, in listening to one of the podcasts, uh, it was kind of a thing about science with you that got you um, thinking a little differently.
2: That was the initial domino that fell. There was another domino that fell very close to the same time that that one was. But whenever I was entrenched in legalism, I wasn't nearly as big a jerk as Kevin was. Um, I was pretty, pretty even kind (laughs) about things. I, I wouldn't go... I wouldn't go into other people's places of of worship or business. You were, you know, you were
1: just a lot nice, a lot more respectful. Good
3: hey, hold you. on. Well, can, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I interrupt? Lee said kind. So this is what I used to say. And I, I mean, I'm just going to give you a little piece of old Kevin here. This is what I used to say. Psalm 141, verse 5, David said, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. So when we go in and spiritually strike people, we're actually being kind to them. That's, oh, that's yeah. the type of stuff I would use to justify. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had Bible verses, you know. I had Bible verses to justify what I was doing.
2: Well, whenever I was still very much enmeshed in, in that same mindset. I grew up oneness Pentecostal, and we oh, weren't wow. we weren't as legalistic as I would become later as far as breadth goes, but we were very, very much legalistic about the modality of baptism and the methodology by which it was done. You know, the right incantation needs to be said. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, you know, it has to be in Jesus name and that, and that's that old, not, not in the name
1: of the name. father, son, and the spirit, but just in the name of Jesus only. Yes. Is that right? Yes.
2: So Jesus bad. only. That's, that's another moniker that's used to refer to oneness. Pentecostalism is Jesus only. Um, Anyway, started through some different things that happened that I won't get into now. I left faith behind for a while and embraced atheism for about a year and a half, two years. Started talking to my wife, realized that there was a huge thing missing from my life, which had to do with those things of a spiritual nature. She was a member of the Churches of Christ, and I started studying with her, started studying with the people that would become my in-laws and converted, became a member of the Church of Christ and was, you know, there for well over 15 years and in that time and in that process, I've always been willing to get up in front of people. So becoming a teacher within whatever church we were working with or worshiping with at the time was, was easy for me. I've never been afraid to get up and talk in front of people. Speech was one of the easiest classes I took in college. So it was, you know, there was nothing to it for me, but whenever I would get in the pulpit, I would be every bit as, what's the word I want to use? I would be every bit as spirited as Kevin would be whenever he would preach. I would be every bit as passionate about it as he would be. But in my interactions with people outside of the church, whenever you're not preaching to the choir, whenever you're not speaking to people that are going to affirm your position and pat you on the back and give you the attaboys, Mm -hmm. I would be a little more reserved. I would be a little more, um, oh, I guess I I can't think of the word that I want to use at the moment, but I wouldn't be as vitriolic as, as I would have been if I were in the pulpit. So I would kind of lead people in a different direction, try to study with them. And I would, you know, I'd put the screws to them after a while and would lean into it. But two things that did it for me, one of them was I had a good friend of mine who was in a relationship in a marriage that wasn't going well. And, they were saying that it, it it was just a really, really bad situation. And they made the remark to me, you know, it's really strange that, that if I, I can't divorce my husband for any reason, because our teaching, which we did a whole series on this, on our podcast, yeah, I saw the that. whole teaching in the churches of Christ on marriage, divorce and remarriage is, is, if fornication doesn't happen within the relationship then there's no scriptural right to divorce and then marry someone else. And they were saying, it, it's so bizarre to me. They were venting one day that, I could kill my spouse, and if I got away with it or once I got out of prison, I'd be able to remarry, no problem, but I can't divorce and marry someone else. That just doesn't make sense, and I got to think, you know, that really doesn't make sense, so I started looking at that, and then at the same time, I was having an experience within my own faith, within science looking at cosmology, looking at all of the evidence that exists, that science has discovered and the redundancy that exists across different fields of science within biology and geology. And uh, I can't think of a term for it now, but the study of trees and plants, cosmology, um, astrophysics, botany. Botany, Thank you. There we go. Yeah. There's the win. But (laughs) all of this evidence was flying in the face of the approach that I had taken to reading scripture. And I, came really close to having a nervous breakdown over it i had sleepless nights because i had all of this cognitive dissonance i had all of this internal conflict taking place and i didn't know what to do with it and it ultimately led to reorienting myself towards the scriptures and reorienting myself to how i read the bible and approached the bible and elucidated mm-hmm. truth from the Bible. And it was about that time that Kevin and I had reconnected, and that's when I began working through various things and realized, man, this approach I've been taking to the scriptures—it's really a ham-fisted approach, and I'm really not approaching the scriptures in the manner that really they ought to be approached. And
1: it seems—it seems to me that that one of the things that's going on with both of you guys is you're looking for more. It's more of a relational approach, and uh, I wonder if you can just tell, tell me from you guys' perspective. Uh, we're in a time right now where there's a lot of people that I'm just going to say are sort of on the move spiritually, and they are questioning lots of things. And uh, it seems like just a lot of us are looking for that relation, looking for a more relational understanding of our spiritual spiritual connection um, with our heavenly Father. And uh, could you just say guys, say a little bit about what you're seeing as you're inter- talking to people and just experiencing this?
2: Well, I think the feedback that we've gotten from our podcast really speaks volumes to that because whenever you're going through that process, like Kevin did and like I did, and I mean, we're still going through it. When you're in the middle of that, you feel all alone. You don't feel like you really have a connection with anyone anymore because you're guilty of thought crime. You're not thinking the right things. You're not believing the right things. Mm -hmm. And whenever you take that and you couple it with the incredible diet, it's, it's, such a oxymoron whenever you think about it of a situation we are more connected now than we have ever been with social media and you have the world's information all of the knowledge that has been parsed so far you can hold it in the palm of your hand
1: yeah you can
2: connect to people around the world i think i've got close to two thousand some odd friends on facebook how many of them do i really know how many real deep real life connections do i have It's almost like the more we've become connected in the digital information age, the more disconnected we've become from each other. And in that disconnection, we then begin to get disconnected from our friends, from our neighbors, from our brethren, because of some of these paradigm shifts that we go through. And so many people experience what Kevin and I have experienced. We hear from people every day, almost, that are going on similar faith journeys, and it's because... The relationships that they thought they had with people in their faith community or even with their own families were predicated upon sharing in a common set of beliefs about a certain set of topics. It wasn't a real connection. And I think the reason why we see so many people that are going in that direction is because they're starved for connection. They don't have that connection with each other. And because they don't have that connection with each other, there's a lack of understanding of of what it means to experience that connection with God and to experience that connection with our Heavenly Father. And having grown up in a religious household within Christianity from the time I was born, with the exception of those couple of years in the wilderness of atheism until now mm-hmm. for you know over 30 years, I just now, within the last maybe two years, have really begun to feel like I am experiencing that connection with God. It's only now in my mid to late thirties that I feel like I'm actually forging a relationship with Jesus, that I actually have a relationship with God. And it's, it's a completely different thing than what I've been accustomed to. But I think whenever we're starved for that connection, that perpetuates itself. And eventually we begin to seek that out and hopefully we find it.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was well put, and and Kevin, uh, that was that was a big part of your book was sort of a paradigm shift uh, towards a more relational understanding of things.
3: Yeah, perception is reality for most people. Uh, what I mean by that is the world that we grow up in is the world we know, and I, I know that that's all we know, especially as children and growing up. Uh, Just to show you one example, my mom and dad had a relationship and still have a fantastic relationship. We're very close to this day, and I just love them to death. They always have loved me. We have a very healthy relationship, and because that's the way I was raised, that was my world. That was my perception of my world, and so that's the way everybody else live too. All my other friends were supposed to have a, mo- a loving mother and father. And right. as I grew as I grew up and got a little older in middle school and high school, I started realizing that, wow, a lot of people, they don't have what I have. In fact, the majority of people who were my friends, their parents were divorced, or even if they were married, they, they maybe were separated or they didn't have a good relationship. And so I remember actually uh, dating a girl when I was in 10th grade, I believe, 11th grade. And she said something that has stuck with me to this day. And I mean, we didn't even date. I think we went on two dates, but she just told me, she said, Kevin, not everybody sees things the way you see them. And that was just, I don't know, it just kind of blew my mind at that point because I'm like, huh, really? Like they don't? (laughs) And as I grew up and ended up going to preaching school and ended up just starting to go to more congregations because the job position I had after I graduated school is I was a director of a program called the gospel of Christ. And my fundamental job was going from congregation to congregation, telling them about our work. And so I would visit, no joke, uh, about 200 churches a year. And that didn't even include all the ones I was going through throughout the week, trying to cause trouble and <laughs> you know talk to them. I mean, that was just me going from congregation to congregation. Yeah. And these were all these were all supposed to be the churches of Christ. These were all people who were supporting our ministry, who I thought everybody saw the same. Every Everybody was supposed to see everything the same way. And as I started talking to these elderships and leaderships and ministers and pastors, and I was at this point only about 24, 25 mm-hmm. years old. And or even younger than that, really, yeah, 23, 24, 25, when I was doing that, I noticed that the people who were supposed to agree oftentimes didn't even agree, and this world that I was taught to believe in was romanticized. It it didn't exist, and I started asking more questions, and that's really what turned me even more legalistic because I thought that wow I have to really buckle down and double down on the truth because you were I'm trying the- to
1: solve you were trying to solve the situation trying to it, get it, the agreement yeah
3: yeah exactly and if you, if you didn't agree. Then And I knew that my heart was in the right place. So if you didn't agree with me, then I knew that it must be your heart that's wrong. And so I would have to mark you as a false teacher and go on and find some other people who I could get to agree with me before we could have any sense of unity. And so it was during that time that I really came full circle because I realized that if this is the way I'm going to approach Christianity, the only person I'm going to be able to fellowship is me. And on most days, I'm not even going to be able to do that. (laughs) So because if I'm honest, I know who I am inside. You know, deep down, I know who I really am. And so it's this idea, this kind of utopia idea that many Christians have of their belief being the only belief or being the dominating belief. Or Sometimes we even call it church, church orthodoxy. And in my new book, I talk about how we've got to be careful about making these overgeneralized statements and making it sound so simplistic because you know who's orthodoxy? <laughs> I mean, if if we're gonna say church orthodoxy, whose exactly are we going to to follow? Um, because they didn't agree. They didn't agree on a lot of things. There were all sorts of divisions, even within the first, first and second century. And so the question then became what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? And if people can see that there are so many people not just outside of their church group but inside of their church group who they disagree with then i think that would open up a conversation of wow maybe we're viewing christianity and christian unity and how to approach the bible maybe we're maybe we're viewing all of this in the wrong way and as lee pointed out you know a lot of churches you go and you sit and you listen and, you know, he talked about our podcast being kind of a, a back pew just after church is over yeah. and you're, able to, you're able to actually talk about real stuff because when you're all gathered, everybody's got to act like they're on the same page. But then behind closed doors, everybody begins to have these real conversations. And that's going to Lee's point. I think that there's so much access now to to hear mm-hmm. a different ideas that before you just kind of had to accept what you were taught. Now you don't have to do that anymore. It, you don't even have to read a book anymore. You, you might just see an idea and then that leads you to read a book. But you're able to be presented with so many different unique ideas that for me to believe that I'm right about absolutely everything and always have been and especially when i was only 25 and 26 years old to think of a 25 and 26 year old boy <laughs> young man yeah. who who had it all figured out that is absolutely ludicrous but well, it's, you mentioned you,
1: know, you mentioned a word there uh, the the gospel yeah and uh you know that's an interesting that's an interesting an interesting word maybe that would be in, in, i'd like to hear from both of you guys uh just where you are right now what is what is the gospel,
2: Kevin? I'll let you go first, brother.
3: <laughs> All right, <laughs> flip a coin here. Take the short straw. Well, <laughs> you know when I when I think about it in a sim- simplistic sense, I mean, I go to 1 Corinthians 15 and I think of the the core belief of what Paul taught was it was really centered everything, and that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even then, I think that's more of just a theological. Statement. I don't think that means a whole lot to people because if you say, "Well, you have to believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ," it's like, "Okay, well, all right, I'm I'm good to go," (laughs) and and that's it. And there's there's so much more to that because I have really now I believe that the gospel encompasses all good news of Christianity. I mean, and it is good news. It's, you know, when you think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the churches that I grew up in, we typically stopped with the death. That was what our focus was on. And being able to have a resurrected life, that just, that wasn't taught a whole lot. I mean, it was all about just making sure you come to church and you do these five acts of worship and you take these five steps to salvation so that you can do these five acts of worship. And it was just really... Uh, Going back to that whole idea of of legalistic, there wasn't much good news. And growing up, the gospel I was taught was good news. The Greek word means good news. There wasn't much good news in my preaching. It was horrible. It was scary. It terrified people. And I think of the whole idea of the kingdom. When I talk about the good news of the kingdom and the good news of Jesus and all these different things, it has made me become such a different person to actually have a relationship with God. And I used to mock that. I used to mock that as being fluffy, as being weak, as being this modern sissy culture that just wants a relationship. I mean, I've got sermons that talk about how to have a relationship with Jesus is even unbiblical. I mean, those are the sermons I used to preach. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now that I talk about my relationship with God, I realize just how powerful that really is in its proper context because now I actually understand the good news. The good news is Jesus came to set me free. You know, Galatians five one, it's for freedom we've been set free. That's good news. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know, I think of of just so many different passages come to mind. Jesus said, "My yoke is easy, my burden is light." I used to teach His yoke was extremely difficult. And uh his burden was very, very heavy. <laughs>
1: right. And that very and, and I think I think you were sort of the uh the king of uh the narrow uh the narrow way and that few were going to make it and that you could even preach to your the, the gathered people that you weren't even sure if the people gathered to hear your words were gonna make it.
3: Yeah, most of, most of my sermons centered around trying to get church people saved, because I thought most of them were not living the way that they were supposed to be living. And I don't like terms, I don't like descriptions um, that are overgeneralized, because I think that in doing so, it, it can invoke feelings in people that may not be correct. But, you know, used to, I was what I would call myself very conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist, those types of words. Now, I was, t- I was having a conversation with a friend. He goes, well, where would you describe yourself right now? And I said, well, I don't really want to say I'm progressive because I think that that encompasses such a wide range, just like the word conservative. I mean, the word conservative means a whole lot of things to a whole lot of people. And so does the word right. progressive. But if I, if I have to come down on a phrase right now, I would I, the kind of the phrase I'm using now is I consider myself a conservative progressive, <laughs> and they, <laughs> said, they, they said, "Well, what does that mean?" I said, "Well, before I would consider myself over the past couple of years, when I first started changing back in 2014, and even when I wrote my book just a few years ago, I would consider myself a progressive conservative, and I have the needle has has shifted to now. I would say I'm I'm a conservative progressive instead of a progressive conservative. And what I mean by that <laughs> is, you know, like I said, I, I try to define everything so people don't misconstrue it. But what I mean by that is, you know, when I think about the gospel. I read. I've read a lot of material from those who are far, far, far progressive, and uh, and I vehemently still disagree with it, just as much as I would vehemently disagree with a lot of the far conservative beliefs. Um, but so I still firmly believe that Jesus is at the center of the gospel. I firmly believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, you know, I think that those beliefs are are crucial to establishing Christianity. Not that. Other people who have different understandings and views of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, maybe more mystical views, can, you know, are not Christians. I'm not saying that, but to me, that's where it starts. Uh, When we're going to talk about the gospel, it's the good news of of Jesus saving us. And I'm not even going to get too specific on different theories on the cross or atonement theories, but because ultimately whether you take penal substitution or Christus Victor or any other ransom views or, you know, what whatever view, um, you know, that, that you take on, what mm-hmm. Jesus did on the cross, ultimately, Jesus taught us to live to live a crucified life, and a crucified life is going to be one that mimics Jesus and how he treats people, how he loves people, how he shows them grace, how he says, you know, shows them mercy over judgment, and all of those things. In short, that's that's my ten minute definition of the gospel. <laughs> but right. yeah, that, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now, and of course, all of that's subject to change. But I try to let people know. Just because you're going down a road of progressivism does not mean that you just like if you're a conservative that doesn't mean you have to take everything that the most uh, radical conservative believes in the same way that you don't have to take everything the most radical progressive believes. Yeah. You, you know that's why I like exploring faith because there's some things that I views that I have that are probably still pretty conservative to a lot of people, but also some yeah. views that I have that are extremely progressive and uh, and liberal to a lot of folks.
1: All right, well, Kevin, okay, okay, Lee, next up to the plate, man. What's the gospel? Well, My answer is going
2: to be similar to Kevin's in a lot of ways. If you were to ask me five years ago, what the gospel was, my answer would have been an outline or detail of the things you needed to do in order to make God happy so that he would save you. Um, That's how I would have defined the gospel. Then I I would say it's the methodology by which one enters into relationship with God. That's what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. But in Reading the scriptures and reorienting myself to the Bible, instead of going to the scriptures to try to confirm a blueprint that that one must follow in order to enter into the grace of God, what I have found in Scripture is that the gospel it is that good news of Jesus Christ. And whenever you say that good news of Jesus Christ, that that's pretty general. What does that mean? It means the gospel is love, God the creator of the universe who holds all things in his hand, who brought all things to bear, who put the cosmos and spun them into existence, loved me enough that he would send his son, the best of heaven to this earth to die that I might be redeemed. And in those terms, it, it floors me the love and the grace and the mercy that God has extended to me. And in that, there is nothing that I can do to earn such a large favor from God. There is no level that I can attain that warrants that kind of reward or that kind of redemption being extended to me. In His infinite love, in His infinite mercy, in His infinite grace, God saw fit to save me. And if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. That is some of the best news that anyone can ever receive. That gospel is perfectly and completely encompassed in the person of Jesus and the redemptive work that he engaged in on Calvary. And whenever I come to a better understanding of that Mm -hmm. Well, who wouldn't want to devote their lives to someone and devote their existence to
1: someone that is willing to
2: to do so much for them?
1: This reminded me of a, of a story. Uh, I was, uh, one time I I was asked to, it was, uh, like a weekend, uh, junior high, high school youth retreat. And there's a hundred something kids that were there. And, uh, and I said, um, how many of you, want Jesus to forgive you, you know, want him to forgive your sins? Just raise your hand if you want Jesus to forgive your sins. And they all raised their hands. And I said, now, um, how many of you would just like to spend the day with him? None of them raised their hands. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And that was... Why wouldn't you want to spend the day with him? Well, he knows what I'm thinking. Mm. I mean, I can, it, I would feel horrible. I would just feel horrible being around him because he knows, I mean, he knows all my thoughts. And I might be able to hide, you know, my dark thoughts or my imperfection, my shame. All I would feel around him would be shame. I, I don't know if I could bear it. I just thought that was uh it's that it's what I realized is that even in Christian community people want Jesus to save them but they don't want to really spend time with him because they don't have a they don't have a sense of of relationship all they can think of is that Jesus would just look at them and be uh and just and all that like all that Jesus all they would feel from Jesus would just be sh- you know shame and like you yeah know, you're well, such a failure
2: that well that's incredibly interesting and you know at at first I'm kind of surprised at that but as I sit here and I think about it that that really isn't all that surprising if you think about it because you know if I think about the kind of preaching that I did back in the day whenever I was still entrenched within that legalistic perspective if you were to ask any audience that i were to preach for back during that time that same question you you'd probably get a really similar answer at least from a lot of the people that stand in terror within yeah. their legalism I think it, it might have been a
1: little might have been a little more you know direct since it was i was just talking with kids
2: yeah, you know, they yeah. were a little more,
1: they were like, well, well, you know, of course not. I wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus. It'd yeah. be horrible.
2: Well, one of the things that <laughs> Kevin has been really fond of saying is that whenever you're entrenched in, in legalism, that you are either terrified and live in fear or you're incredibly arrogant and think you have it all figured out. and. You know, a lot of the preaching that's done within Christendom, it emphasizes the worthlessness of man, you know, and I even alluded to that whenever I was, you know, speaking to how I define the gospel and it's that I can be saved by a God that loves me, a powerful God that, you know, holds everything within his hands. He loves me enough to save me. That's the gospel. That's good news. He saves me through the blood of his son. That's incredible. It's yeah. an incredible thing. But for a lot of people, whenever that emphasis is on that shame and how worthless you are and how terrible you are, and you can never, ever, ever be good enough. Well, if you have kids that are hearing that, maybe they're sitting in the pew coloring or, you know, whenever they're hearing it. But if they're hearing that type of language from a young age, it, it makes perfect sense that they would respond that way because yeah. to them, Jesus is unapproachable and you can't have a relationship with someone that you can't approach.
1: Well, one of the things that's interesting, I want to ask you about this, is that um, uh, that fascinated me about, uh, about Jesus' ability to interact with people. In his day and age, society was so separated between clean and unclean. And so he went and sat at table with these unclean people, and they, the way that he was with them— and I don't know how he must have done this, but I'm sure, it, you know, it was body language and the way he was just looking at them. You know, somebody told me one time that he thought that people feel about you probably just the way you feel about them. And he sat with those people and they were just blown away because they just knew in an intuitive kind of way that this person was loving them and with them. And the Pharisees saw it, too. And they just they just all knew um, Exactly what, you know, exactly what was happening in that moment. So, you know, that's kind of a part of a a relationship. And what just what do you think it would be like to to be with um, to be with Jesus? What would what what do you think that would what would you know, do you think, at at an intuitive level, if you were with him?
2: I I think that Jesus, just based on what we see in scripture, like you said, that world was so stratified and there was so much just hate and disdain ingrained within people that were different from them, you know, Jews versus Samaritans versus Romans and on and on and on it goes. And Jesus crossed those boundaries and he made people feel loved. He made them feel welcome. And you know, there are those people that you sit down with. We've all had those people in our lives that we've met that we have sat down with and talked with or met for the first time. And it's like you're meeting an old friend or we have those friends that we have those deep connections with that we may not talk to for years because they move away or whatever else. And then they're in town or you're in town where they live and you get together and it's like, you never missed a beat. You feel comforted. You feel comfortable. You feel right at home. You feel safe. I think if we were to sit down with Jesus now and He were to sit knee-to-knee with us and, or you know just across the table from us and share a meal with Him, I think that He would challenge us, but in a good way, and I think you'd feel the love. I mean, that's, that's just from what I see reflected
1: in Scripture. Yeah, that's well put. Kevin, what, what, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, well, I, I wanted to circle back around for Him moment to Lee's definition of the gospel and how he explained it. I think he did a lot better than I did, because the uh, th- the whole concept there that Lee really just stripped it down to saying it's love. The gospel, in one word, is love. And I like that. I like that. And I, I know I've heard that before, but I don't know what it was when Lee said it. Something just hit me the right way, because Everything that the the gospel is about, Jesus' ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus—all of those things demonstrated His love for us. And when you look at the passages in John three sixteen or 1 John two one and two that that talk about a crucified life with Jesus and a crucicentric Christianity and Christocentric Christianity, which are the two of my favorite descriptions now on how I read the Bible—is through Jesus and what He did and the life He led. And so I like that Lee that's really good. I I I I like the way that you put that. I appreciate you you putting that together for me because I just I like the way that you know when it when it all everything Jesus did it's for him to show us how much he loves us. And so to answer the question of of hanging out with Jesus for a day used to I would probably be like the children who were a little hesitant. And I was, wait, I don't know. No, I don't think I would want to, or at least not right now. Give me about a week or two so I can go get perfect. And then when I'm perfect, maybe me and Jesus can hang out a little bit. (laughs) And of course, two weeks, two weeks goes by and you go, give me two more weeks. And then another two weeks goes by, give me another two. And because you finally realize that, that Jesus is the reason why Jesus is the reason for everything. Jesus, it's, it's, Jesus loves us. Not because we're perfect, he loves us even though we're not perfect, and that he showed us the kind of love that not only we're to have for one another, but the kind of love that he has for us. And I just think about sometimes the way that I treated people in my past. I still struggle with a lot of guilt. I'm pretty open about this because this is pretty therapeutic whenever I'm able to do this, I don't confess in a weird way uh because I think I'm obligated. I do it because it it really helps me to just hopefully help other people as they're listening. I hold a lot of guilt because I represented a false God. I represented a false Jesus for many years. And uh, of course I've repented and I uh, have tried to go back and talk to people and apologize and you know, it just got to the point where I didn't even know who all I could should apologize to, and somebody finally one day they said, "Kevin, think about Paul. Do you think he went to all the families of the people he killed or put in prison and apologized?" I said, "Well, no." They said, "Well, of course not. You know, quit, quit beating yourself up." But I, I, I bring all that up to say that I presented such a unChrist-like Jesus to people in my preaching that that's who i thought god was that's who i thought jesus was and it goes back to what i always want to emphasize and that is i did it with the best of intentions i did it because i thought that's who jesus was and the jesus that i was preaching to other people that's the jesus i believed in too and it's a jesus that was terrifying it was a jesus that that is is you know he's he is Only your master. That's it. He's not your friend. He doesn't. You know. He he's only a friend in the sense of if you do everything he tells you to do. (laughs) It's no Mm -hmm. friend I know. That's you know I don't have a friend like that. Um, You know. And uh, it was all fear based. It was so fearful. Lee and I talked about this on one of our episodes a couple of weeks ago. If you're in a relationship with someone, and that relationship is uh, dependent upon fear, that you if you staying in that relationship is predicated on on, you know, because you're, you're so afraid and it's on predicate on your fear. We don't call that a relationship. We call that abuse. And a lot mm-hmm. of people have an abusive relationship with Jesus. They have an b- abusive relationship with God. They like talking about him. They like reading his letters. They like long distant phone calls <laughs> called prayer. But the idea of actually having to hang out with them is kind of a terrifying thing. When I finally realized the love that Jesus has for me as a sinner, That is that's what changed everything. I was the leper in the story. I was I was the uh, the woman caught in adultery. I was the woman at the well who had been married five times. I was the tax collector who had cheated people. I, I, I became that character. And when you become that character all of a sudden you feel love. (laughs) You know, none of us want to be that character. But when you actually put yourself, when you read in the Bible and say, I am all of these characters, when you're reading the story, who wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus? Not just for a day, but forever. Like, wow, this this is the kind, the only kind of person who could love me so much. And even my mom and dad, as much as I love them and they love me, there's a sense that, this unconditional, perfect love God gives us is even so much more powerful because He understands even what the most, the closest person to you cannot understand. And when you believe that, by the way, side point, I think that's one of the biggest evidences for Christianity. You know, I don't go to science or I don't go to all these other things to try to prove Christianity. I mean, I, th- I think that you can point to the fact that there, you know, is a creator and those types of things. But ultimately love and community are essential human needs, essential human needs. That's Mm -hmm. what, that's what the Bible teaches us. And that's what the Bible provides for us. If we allow ourselves to live that, that, that crucified life, that, you know, crucicentric Christianity and Christocentric Christianity. And if we approach scripture that way, to me, that, that opens the door to new arguments to people who go, Why do you believe in God? Here's why. Here's why I believe in God, because I know love's real. And God is a God of love and He makes Himself so different than any other God and He reveals Himself in the in the person of Jesus Christ.
1: You know, you talked about that that uh that crucified that crucified love. I remember preaching uh, Easter, you know, uh when you're Easter is kind of a hard um can be kind of a, a in a way for preachers can be kind of hard, you know, because it's Easter Sunday. So, y- you know, what are you going to talk about? Well, you know, it, the resurrection. You know, it's like everybody knows the story. We're all there. Everybody's, you know, you know, wanting to celebrate that. But I got to thinking about it one uh, one Easter, and I thought that, you know, the it, the, you know, it's a miracle. You know, you could say it's a miracle that Jesus would be willing to go on the cross for us that, that he loved us that much and that it would, that, that you know, that would, that is, that is a miracle. And then you could say the miracle is, um, that he rose from the dead and that is a miracle. You know, that is a big, you know, that is a miracle. And I said, and I said, and I don't want to downplay any of these other two miracles, but there's something else that has really started to strike me about this, that it's starting to seem just about as miraculous. And the thing that really gets me is that, you know, he preached in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. And then he went up on the cross and practiced what he preached. From from he didn't just get crucified on the cross. He loved the people who were crucifying him on the cross.
2: Yeah. Father forgive them. They know not what they do.
1: Yeah, he. You know, it'd be one thing for me to be crucified for a bunch of other people that I loved, but to being crucified and to know that you're being crucified for the person who is crucifying you, and that you're loving them as they are crucifying you, and that some way beyond our ability to understand that that the God in whom we live and move our and have our being submitted. To our worst act of violence, and received it in love, and somehow just turned everything inside out, and used it as the moment um, for unleashing this great, this great salvation. Um, so, you know, thanks for bringing up that, cruci- that cruciform love, Kevin. It's uh, well, it's a pretty that, amazing thing.
3: Yeah, and that, and I've I've been studying a lot more on the different theories of, of why Jesus died, and you know what? All of them have in common. Jesus loved us, and yeah. you know I, I think that people can sometimes kind of get caught up, and I do think some theories are are not as harmonizable with God as others. But ultimately, the focus is that whatever you believe Jesus accomplished on the cross, Jesus uh, Jesus accomplished the fact that He is a God of love. that That is what He proved ultimately, and He showed us as we as, as we see in the New Testament letters as they continuously allude back to this, how to love other people. And I can't, as you pointed out, David, I can't imagine, usually on a good day, I couldn't imagine dying for most people I love, you know, but I mean, I would like to, I would like to say that I would, but you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if push comes <laughs> to show, I, you know, I don't know, but uh, I would like to say yes and give that, give that a uh, nice answer. And, but people who I don't love, and when I say don't love, I mean, don't, have a good relationship with or my enemies because I should love everybody. So let me make a correction there, but people who, who are my enemies or people who are torturing me or people who've tortured people I love and to sit there and, and still love them. And I think about Jesus and Judas and just the relationship that they had. If you've ever been stabbed in the back by somebody, it's very tough to, to, to want to be around that person especially if they really haven't apologized, but if they have apologized, it can, you, you can, really, it can really be difficult. Um, but when you know that someone is going to betray you and not just stab you in the back or betray you just to a couple of friends or maybe gossip about you, but actually turn you over to the authorities and, and you're going to be ultimately killed because of their betrayal. And yet you still eat with them. You still love them. You still mm-hmm. accept them into part of your group. I mean that—that's a kind of love that, to me, is beyond comprehension, and that's why God is a God worth serving.
1: Well, one of the things that I appreciate about you guys is, uh, you know, on the—I'm—I have been somebody on the receiving end of your love, and one of the, one of the, one of the things that love does is it—it it just pays attention. It's just with you. It's just listening to you. And the experience of being interviewed by you guys was just the experience of two guys that were showing love to me and welcome. And it was like, you know what, just be, you're safe with us. Just tell us, uh, you know, tell us what you're going through. Tell tell us about your experience, what this looks like to you, how you put it all together. And so, um, and I know that all the other people that are interviewed, I've listened to some of the other interviews that you do with folks too, and that you treat all of your guests um, with that kind of love. And so I, I just applaud the grace that you both are showing in your lives in in the well, podcast you. that you were doing. I just think it's a beautiful thing and, uh,
3: encourage well, other I'm people. Wa- to- Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm going to confess something. Um, and that is, and this is and honest to goodness, I'm being, being serious when I say this, it's easy to show grace toward people who are already a pretty grace centered individual, where I still struggle with the most, and this is something that people have asked me and Lee about, why don't you not have people on your program that hold more conservative views? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we have, you know, we've had a few people talk about different views on eschatology and things of that nature. But where I still struggle the most is showing that love and patience and creating a safe space for people who are still very much entrenched in legalism. And and I'm not talking about the ones who are drowning and they they're 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 reaching their hand out for help. I I love to hand to help with those types of people because I know what yeah. they're going through. It's the ones who um it's it's me. It's me ten years ago. And yeah. I have a a hard time interviewing people who 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 were like me ten, you know, like I was 10 years ago. And, you know, Lee and I both have talked about trying to get more people on who have more so these conservative views to be able to engage and just discuss and show them love and grace and mercy. Because when I first started changing, and this is kind of just a warning to people who are getting out of legalism, it's easy to be bitter towards people of your past congregations and those who are still what you would consider more conservative or legalistic. And so. My struggle, and I I feel like I am getting better, but my prayer is always, I'm asking God to help me be grace-centered and merciful even toward those because I just have a hard time sometimes. Uh, Those are the ones that sometimes the gloves come off very easily, and I can get right back into a mudslinging contest, and I'm like, whoa why can not i not treat this person like i treated david artman or why can i not treat this person like i treated all these other people who came on our program that i disagreed with why am i acting this way to them and so i'm i'm really trying to i used to justify by saying well jesus was aggressive toward the pharisees too but you know he was also very loving toward them as well and said he wanted to gather them up like a like a mother hen gathers up her chickens so at that something because I don't want people listening to this saying, oh, Kevin and Lee are you know just so sweet and they're you know they just have it all figured out. Because goodness gracious, I am so far away from that. And I want I am gr- trying to grow my love every day, and I am so far away from where I, I need to be and from where I want to be. But uh, having these conversations is just a good reminder that I need to make sure I'm being loving and, and graceful. Yeah. For well,
1: one of the things I mean, one of the things that I see you guys doing is it's it's sort of like you've sort of come out. And, and you're being more, uh, you realize, you know, Hey, I was, I wasn't as gracious as I could have been. And, uh, you know, there's some other people out here that are maybe feeling like they're not understood or, um, uh, maybe, you know, could use being, you know, would be interested to listen to them and, and hear from them. So to me, what you guys are doing is you're kind of ex- you're expanding to me. You're widening the conversation. And yeah, that's, um, yeah, I that's just what appreciate that. Well,
2: that's what we want to do. We want that, to, and, that and you know, and it's about,
1: and, you know, explore exploration to me is yeah. kind of about what this was. And it, so it's not really for me when I look at you guys, it's not like, oh, look at those hypocrites. It's like, okay, here are these guys and they're exploring together and they, they both sort of started from a, from a certain place, a certain perspective, and they're just branching out and they're just you know, you're sort of like, you kind of remind me of like Lewis and Clark in a way, you know, you're just on this journey (laughs) and it's like, Hey, that's interesting. Look at that mountain over there, you know, uh, or let's be, let's, let's find out what that person's perspective is, or let's talk to that person over there and see what we wouldn't have used to. We wouldn't have talked to that. We used to, we, our former selves, we used to wouldn't have talked to that person. And so now let's go talk to that person that we maybe wouldn't have even talked to before, and try to see them as a human being and, and somebody who's have, trying to have a relationship with God and, and walk with Christ in, in in their way. That's so.
2: Well, that's exactly what we want to accomplish with the with the podcast because we were in such a close-minded place before that if any position was posited that went against the grain of what we were convinced was true we is like no nah, i don't you're you're anathema to me we, i have no time or place to talk to you hey yeah. i'll talk to you but i don't want to talk with you i don't want to go on a journey with you i don't want yeah. to explore your perspective i want to prove to you why you're wrong so let's have a conversation so i can prove to you why why you're wrong. And I know for me, a lot of what Kevin has just described with, with himself, I still struggle with that as well, mainly because I know that some of those people from those more, and and I really don't like using this term, but from that more conservative mindset, that's the position or the posture that they're going to take with me there. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And, they're talking at me to try to show me where I'm wrong so that I can think yeah. better. And that's not really a productive conversation, no matter yeah, where that, they fall on the spectrum. Yeah, but you're moving
1: – you, you, what you're doing is you're moving away from legalistic, I guess, a, sort of a legalistic kind of Christianity to a more relational uh, approach to it. And, and, and so you're just exploring and talking to other people who are kind of on that uh, journey too and to try to see – how they're rethinking things and what their experience is. And and by doing that, you're giving your, you know, you're taking all of us along with you and you're having all of these, uh, interesting, interesting conversations. This conversation has been going on a little over an hour now, so we probably should kind of wrap <laughs> things, kind of oh, wrap no, this, this up. Hey,
3: I thought this was just the introduction. Have we got into the, <laughs> Hey, I did, I did want to say one thing though. Um, is it is just to follow up with what Lee said, because he had, it was, what was that movie called behind the curve Lee? Uh, the documentary? Um,
2: oh yeah. Behind the curve. I think. Yes. Yeah. So,
3: so we watched that last night and I don't know if, if you've heard of it, David, but it's, I it's haven't. basically about, uh, it's a documentary on a lot of flat earthers and it, the, the last part Lee, Where they were talking about how even if, you know, if they ever came to the conclusion they were wrong, they would no longer have the current community that they have made with this Flat Earth Association, but they also wouldn't be able to be accepted back into general population with people either. People wouldn't accept them anymore. And I thought that's so sad because that's how I feel with a lot of people who are struggling and not just in legalism. I mean, that's that's my experience, but there's so many other views that people struggle with. And I always want to make sure to keep those doors opened because when someone is ready to start questioning, and I mean actually question, not just tell me why I'm wrong <laughs> or give me their perspective, but actually try to have a conversation I want that door to always be open to for them to know, look, wherever you're at, if ever you want to leave where you're at, I'm going to love you. I, I'm going to love you where you're at, and I'm going to love you wherever you go. I'm, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to love you. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's always going to be open to your love uh, at all times, and there's some relationships that could be toxic, and I believe that there needs to be proper boundaries set, but I'm speaking just generally here that, if I realize that if I'm going to try to help people who are trapped and I, I want to try to, to to help bring them the gospel, love, good news, then I don't want to treat them in such a way that even if they were to change, they they wouldn't feel like they would be safe to come to me. And so I appreciate you saying that, David. That means a lot that you felt safe with us. Even though we disagree, I hope everyone you know that we ever interview feels the same way, that they feel like we're honest, then we're sincere and that we're respectful and we'll respect you. We want to hear what you have to say because I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I can guarantee you there's a lot of things I'm wrong on right now. And so it's just always keeping that door. And Lee and I both have discussed that's where that's that's one of the probably the biggest compliments we've received in our podcast. And if that's all we do, if all we do is demonstrate how we hope people can have good Engaged conversations, and still love each other and respect each other, and make people feel like they have a safe place to do that. Then, then we we've done what we have set out to do.
1: Well, from from the perspective of a Christian universalist, who um, you know doesn't uh, sometimes I don't know how I'm going to be, you know, how, how I'm going to be received. How you're
2: going to be received? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You guys uh, really made me feel um, welcome and loved and, and, and included. And for folks like me, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a gift. And so, uh, uh, we certainly appreciate you and, uh, what you're doing. And, and I just want to say, um, uh, uh, God bless the both of you on the journey that you're on and I applaud your, you know, you're reaching out and you're experiencing more grace and you guys are engaged and I'm going to be following, uh, what you're doing, Kevin? You got a you've got a new book that you're working on. You want to say a little bit about that, or how close are you to uh, having that yeah, out there? Well,
3: it was supposed to be out last year, if that gives you any indication. Um, but <laughs> I uh, I keep reading books because I want to make sure that I'm representing all views fairly. Uh, but yeah it's, yeah, it's called it's going to be called "Blinded by the Bible: Rethinking Our Relationship with Scripture," and it's really just a conversation starter um I'm not trying to make any conclusions uh for for anybody or really or everybody or anybody really but it's just more about how we can approach the bible how the bible was written taking into uh context some of the things that we forget the culture the different literature that's found in scripture all the different ways that the bible accommodates and so yeah I'll be I'll be talking about that um a lot more probably as time grows closer to to promoting it and um it's time All right. Well, to, yeah. I'll, you
1: got it. You got a place to promote it right here. I'll be happy to talk with you. Uh,
3: I appreciate I'll it.
1: Happy to, I'll be happy to talk with you about it. So Kevin and Lee, just thanks a lot for everything that you're doing. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you want to listen to some really interesting conversations and some people loving each other and just learning and sharing together, go to the uh, Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace uh, podcast and get to know uh, Kevin and, Lee and uh, You guys just keep up the good work and hopefully we'll talk some more in the future, okay?
2: Hopefully, David, thank you so much for reciprocating that kindness and for having us on as guests, brother. We really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thank you, brother. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome, brother. Talk to you later.
0: Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.